Welcome back to Pancreas Pals, a podcast by diabetics for diabetics. I'm Emily, a writer and editor. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two women trying to live our best diabetic lives. While it might not always be easy due to the literal highs and lows, it always helps to have a Pancreas Pal to turn to. Hello and welcome to Pancreas Pals. I'm Emily, and this season we will be having a rotating roster of co-hosts. No matter who's sitting beside me in the hosting chair, we are still just two people trying to live our best diabetic lives. Every week we'll tackle a new topic from the diabetic perspective. Although we may offer tips and tricks, we are not medical professionals. However, we offer anecdotes and general thoughts on how to embrace a type 1 lifestyle on your own terms. It's not easy to do with all of the literal highs and lows, but it does help to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here and Alex, what's up? She's still co-hosting in that co-host and share with me. Still here. <laughs> still here. And this still here. Week's, this week's special guest is at gofeedyourself underscore for those who are trying to find it as I speak. Her name is Lauren Newman. She is a dietitian at Center for Discovery and she works a lot with, or I shouldn't say a lot, or she works closely with some type 1 diabetics, but she also specializes specifically in eating disorders and nutrition, hence the fact that I just called her a dietitian. Um, welcome, Lauren. Thank you. We're pumped to have you on this Sunday where everyone is already dreading Monday, so happy week. Um, but I just want to kick things off with a little bit on your associations with type 1 because I think you might be one of the very first people, my family members aside, to come on the podcast who don't have type 1 but are still associated with it. Um, I know we were talking a little bit about how you have some friends who are type 1, but specifically in terms of your job, how you're associated with it, if you could kick us off with that. Wow, that's actually really exciting that you haven't had anybody else on here before that <laughs> has a working pancreas. Interesting. Um, I have had my sister. Well, yeah, okay, besides family members. <laughs> Does that just mean I'm part of the family now? I'm just going to yeah. say what it means. We're all, we're all mishbucha, as we say. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, so I am a dietitian at an eating disorder treatment center, but um, just some background for some people that don't know what it is what the process is to become a diet, to become a dietitian. Oh my God, words are hard. Um, they truly are. You, once you finish all of your like undergrad work and everything you have to do, they call it a dietetic internship, but like internship is a really bad word for it. It's almost like how doctors have to do a residency and they rotate through different specialties and have to have a certain number of hours and whatever areas. So that's what we have to do as dietitians. So I spent the past year um, finishing all of those uh, clinical and practicum hours and everything. And I knew I was really interested in type one. And so um, I wound up doing a lot of my rotations and a lot of my specialties focusing on type one. So I did most of my clinical nutrition work, which is like where you're working in a hospital, which every dietitian has to do. But I did mine specifically in pediatrics. And I told them that I love type one and I wanted to work with people that have type one. So they let me work with all of the type one patients that we had admitted while I was there. And I got to do like a lot of the new diagnosis educations and a lot of really cool stuff with that. And I also spent a lot of the summer um, 
working with type one as well. So I did a few weeks at a pediatric endocrinology um, clinic. So with the dietitians there and working with the doctors and the dietitians um, with their patients. So it's like specifically an outpatient clinic for uh, people that for kiddos that have type one. And then I also spent a few weeks at two different diabetes camps. So I spent a lot of time with type one over the past year. You are pretty immersed in our culture, it sounds like. (laughs) Definitely, especially after like camp and like living in a cabin with 12 other type one eight-year-olds and two other, two or three other counselors that were also type one and just, yeah, lots, lots of beeping. Oh my God. That reminds me, we have an episode called I Beep at Work. Everyone go check it out because it's pretty applicable. Um, but that's, um, it's really cool to see on like a firsthand basis, all the people that don't have type one, but are so interested in really, you know, important in our pancreatically challenged lives. Um, I know a lot of my care team at Naomi Berry doesn't have type one, but it's, you know, my dietitian, my nurse, they don't have type one, but they're super immersed in it. And I think it's so important, especially from a dietary perspective to have an outside perspective as well, because yeah, it's amazing to have someone who's also type one kind of talk about all these scary carb counting and, you know, trying to be low carb or trying to be high carb or trying to just figure out your life like me. Um, But it's really interesting talking to nutritionists and dietitians who don't have type one, but still can be like, okay, well, you know, this is how you carb count for this. And this is why this is a good idea. And this is why this isn't. Um, But in your experience, have you found that you are dealing more with people that are carb counting? Like, how does that affect the psyche, if you will, um, for a type one? These are a lot of questions. I just rolled into one. Sorry. That's totally fine. That's like a huge, huge topic in general. But I also just want to preface this with like the reason why I'm why I became interested in type 1 to begin with like I have a lot of friends and family members that have type 1 and so actually not a lot a few family members not okay now I'm like counting in my head whatever but (laughs) um I so I've like been around it for a while right and I was already studying nutrition like already in school to be a dietitian already got accepted to like do my clinical hours and everything and I was interested in eating disorders and in intuitive eating and this whole kind of world of that. And then I have all these friends that have type one and I'm talking to them about it and talking, I don't know, it was just like all of these things kind of coming together at once. And I realized like how disordered some of the education around type one is Mm -hmm. and how some of like the behaviors that people have that have type one can become like really stressful or problematic in some way and just like caused a lot of stress on their lives and so it was kind of that like perfect storm of all these things I was interested in that got all jumbled up together and so that's why the area that I'm that I work in and that I'm specifically interested in is type 1 and eating disorders or disordered eating so to end I don't remember exactly what your question was about carb counting but um, (laughs) no I mean it was kind of more of like a general how do you think being type one, you know, like how should we be aware as type one diabetics? When is it, when are we counting too many carbs? When are we, you know, like what's kind of the line emotionally? Is there, is it black and white or does it 
vary based on the person? Like, how do oh, you? It's totally, it's totally not black and white. Like, I don't think there's anything that is in the world, pretty much. But true. Um, <laughs> there's, I think, a helpful way to think about it is there. So, like, you know, at, when you're diagnosed and just over the years, as you continue to go to your endo and go to the doctor and whatever, they keep telling you about, like, here's all these things that you're at risk for because you have type 1, right? Like, they'll say yeah. you're at risk for, like, eye issues, so make sure you see an eye doctor. You're at risk for, like, kidney problems. Make sure we focus on, like, X, Y, and Z so that way we can make sure that your kidneys are still functioning and all those different things. But nowhere in there does anybody tell you that all of the things that happen when you're type 1 kind of immediate, almost immediately put you at risk for an eating disorder because mm-hmm. – or disordered eating, because when we think about all of the things that are risk factors for eating disorders, it's things like um, having a lot of food rules or being stuck in a diet mentality, which you kind of essentially are forced into when you have type one, because you have to be focused on carb counting and knowing what's in your food and eating at certain times or not eating when you're hungry because you're low or not eating when you are hungry because like you're really high or trying to figure out what to do. Um, another risk factor for eating disorders is trauma, which like the diagnosis process in general can be really tra- traumatic for a lot of people that have type one or having a severe low or wind up winding up in DKA. Like there's so many different potential traumatic situations that are associated with type one. Uh, other things are like body dissatisfaction, which is really hard. I mean, I don't have type one, but from people that I've talked to who do, and maybe Emily, you can speak to this, but trying to accept a body when you feel like it doesn't work the way it's quote unquote supposed to, or when you have all of these, when you have like things, devices attached to you that beep or whatever, there's just so many body dissatisfaction issues or body image issues that come along with having type one. Well, um, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, Sorry. for sure. Um, love where you're going with this. Perfect. Also, I feel like I should preface with like trigger warning for anyone that has any type of, uh, eating disorder or disordered eating, I should say, definitely don't want to trigger anyone in a negative way. So heads up, I'll put in a heads up at the beginning of this as well. Um, But at least for me and Alex, I know you can not to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you can discuss it in other ways. Yeah. Um, At least for me, I've always had body image issues just kind of growing up in the South and um, not to blame everything on Jacksonville, Florida, but just having, uh, I've always been a little chunky and a little chubs growing up. And then I got diagnosed with type one when I was in college. So I'd always had kind of nothing to the point of an eating disorder and nothing at all like that. But I just always, I mean, I've always had thyroid disease, so it was always more difficult for me to lose weight. And then obviously for anyone who has one autoimmune disease, if you don't know this, sorry to break this to you, but you're more likely to develop another, which is why they think maybe I got type one in my twenties. So I was dealing with difficulty losing weight. And then all of a sudden I was diagnosed with type one and I was forced to, you know, like I had a lot of lows my first few months and I gained probably 10 or 15 pounds my first year of type one. And it was because I was chasing my lows. Like it, yeah, I was feeding sure. my insulin as you will, as my nurse would call it. And I, you know, four years later, I've dropped the weight. I dropped, you know, I'm really confident in myself and I've learned a lot growing up in the last four years as this disease makes you do. I've learned how resilient my body can be and how fragile it can be sometimes at the same time. So totally. it's, 
I'm in awe of the things that I can get through and I'm disappointed in the things that I struggle with, but that's life. And type one, like every other thing is not every other thing, but like many things is out of my control to an extent. I can't just wake up one day and not have it at this point in 2018. Um, so I think I just have to, I learned to be kinder to my body and I learned that it's really, you know, I might not be a size two, but I am confident in who I am and these things that beep and protrude from my body, you know, whether it's going on dates and people having issues with it or me feeling, I'm not always confident in it. Like when I go to the beach sometimes, I'm like, why are people staring at me? Is it because I look chubby or is it because of my insulin pumps? And then it's like, who cares? I feel great. I feel alive. I'm living my best life. I'm doing the best I can. And that I think is my biggest takeaway from all of it. And I think also like, you think about, you know, Emily, you kind of just touched on this, you know, you can't take this disease away. And, um, you know, Lauren, tell me if this is a you know misunderstanding, but, you know, eating disorders or disordered eating habits are in a way, um, or at least in my experience, it's something that you can control to an extent. And, um, you know, when with hormones or other things that impact your blood sugar, which, by the way, is literally everything. <laughs> Um, it's easy to become overly controlling of the things that are within your power. So, you know, I'm going to really limit my carbs or I'm going to limit my insulin or whatever, because you can, and that's kind of the only thing that you can do. And I've felt in, in my experience, particularly in college and even now, you know, I'm 27 and still deal with this stuff. It's like, okay, that is something that I can control, but it's easy to, to try to over control it. And, um, I think, you know, with age and maturity, you kind of start to let a little bit of that go. Um, I also went to a college where um, image and how you looked was, um, there was, you know, some serious, probably eating disorders or things that I didn't really recognize as problematic amongst young women that I knew with overexercising and things. So it kind of perpetuated that. But as, as you grow up, and I'm like, to your point, kind of try to say, you know, these things don't matter. There is still that element of, oh my God, if I, if I eat too much of this carb, my blood sugar is going to go crazy. And I, I have to, and it's easy to spiral even um, when you know totally. it's a unhealthy behavior. Yeah. And I definitely want to like validate that for sure. Like I've never, obviously, I, keep, I feel like I keep having to say this, like I don't have type one, so I haven't personally. Do not apologize for having a working progress. <laughs> True. Yeah. But one of the things that I feel like there's 7,000 things in my head right now. Okay. So one of the things too, is that we try to, in the way that people that focus on eating disorders and disordered eating and type one, like that whole intersection, um, try and focus on like a lot of the language that's used. And so one of the things that we like to reframe is that instead of talking about control, we talk about diabetes management Yeah. because mm-hmm. there really there's so many things that are out of your control. And so it's not and about a panic like, word as well. Exactly. It is a panic it's word. Just, it's like you're grasping for yeah, something. It's a really high, like anxiety provoking term. And so thinking about it and like reframing it in terms of management like, how can I manage the situation? Or there are all these things that are, because you really don't have control over anything. Like you can have perceived control, but it's not, yeah. you really can't. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's all over the place. So reframing it in terms of management has 
is pretty helpful. Um, I for think sure. working with like that, that's something that I found working with clients for sure. And just on the term of control as well, like Alex, you mentioned that eating disorders, they're not exactly something that you can control, but they are, again, something that you can learn how to manage because it's a combination of like physical factors and psychological factors and all these things. And some of them are, um, and I think it also depends on how much treatment somebody has had and how much insight they have mm-hmm. into what's going on in their situation and in their eating disorder. And so I feel like later on in the treatment process, it does feel like something that you can control or manage better. Uh, but at the beginning, before like gaining insight into what's going on, it definitely feels totally out of control. Well, I think right. I could have taken this wrong, but Alex, I feel like you meant more along the lines of it seems like something like put what yes. you're put when things feel out of control you look to things that you can control which one so like exactly. obviously eating I disorders are disease as well it. yeah exactly right. so it's one of those yeah, things. And that, yeah well and that's another thing too that like that is another risk factor for eating disorders in general is having like those perfectionistic tendencies or having really mm-hmm. strict rigidity around your life and what you do and how you manage things and that's like again, and not just another risk factor for disordered behavior in general. And for diabetics who are constantly having to count their carbs. And I mean, exactly. whether at the end of the day, for, for all of our pancreatically capable pals listening, like this is, this sentence is for you, all of my fellow diabetics. I know you know what I'm talking about, but people constantly ask us, can you eat that? Can you not eat that? At the end of the day, it all comes down to carb counting and knowing what's in something. I can eat whatever I want if I don't mind going super high or accidentally messing up and going low. Like, it's not like we're going to eat something and immediately just like collapse unless you have a food allergy, knock on wood. But like, it's, it's, it takes time for your body to absorb stuff. So you got a solid 20 to 30 minutes before you figure out what's going on. And then, you know, maybe a two hours after that. That being said, I'm never recommending anyone just blindly giving themselves insulin or not correcting or not giving themselves any insulin, which is something I would like to get into because that is something called diabulimia, um, which I'd like to shed some light on. But it's, you know, like we can eat whatever the hell we want as long as we know what we're doing. And for me, that means a stricter diet because I know I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So I try to eat low carb. Also, my carb ratio is really tight. So I try not to go through insulin like it's my job because that stuff is expensive. Um, So there's so many different things playing into my diet, literally going down to how much money I want to spend on a vial, like a $600 vial of insulin. So which is a disturbing reality, but it's the world we live in right now. Um, right. And I think that's also why in like the treatment of eating disorders, we need more people and disordered eating in general, like we need more people who understand type one and like understand all of those different things, because the main focus in the eating disorder world is, um, intuitive eating, which I do think has a place with type one. But I think you need to understand the nuances of type one and all the decisions that go into it and all of the different factors that affect your blood sugar and everything and all the things you were just saying, Emily, like you need somebody who actually understands all of those factors without, um, because without that, you just don't have somebody who like can appropriately treat somebody who has type one. Can you, and something Lauren, like, again, to the harp on the point of not apologizing. I've had several nutritionists in my life, dietitians, some diabetic and some not. And I've actually um, felt that, you know, in a couple of experiences with 
um, nutritionists who have type one, it's kind of this projection of this is what works for me. And this is how I do things. And I have type one, so I get it. And that's actually been, you know, in a few more than one case, a pretty negative um, experience. And yeah, and, you know, every, everybody is different. Every lifestyle is different. And I think, you know, I had a nutritionist, my first one, when I was very, very young, I was diagnosed when I was eight. And at a point when, you know, young, with young girls, you're starting to just kind of understand your body and body image. And that's like, you know, it was a very critical time. And I started seeing this nutritionist who told me that when she was after college, she almost went blind because she wasn't taking care of herself, all this horribly scary stuff. She was on a completely no carb diet. She didn't eat any vegetables even, which like we all know. Yeah, that's like me. Not the season one, episode one, I didn't have fruit for a year because of carbs. Yeah, it was like, it's a carb. Carbs are bad. I almost died and this happened to me and it'll happen to you. So I think it's just so important for anyone, particularly who's newly diagnosed and listening that, you know, if, your body is not going to be exactly like, like everyone else's body. And um, it's okay to kind of, you know, again, we're not medical professionals, but try different (laughs) things and see what's working. Yes, Lauren is. So Lauren, tell us if this is wrong, but you know, different things are going to work for, for different people. And um, I think just keeping that in mind as, as you're speaking to anyone um, is, is super, super important keeping that kind of frame of reference. Yeah, absolutely. You're and I think, flower. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that experience that you were talking about is like one end of the extreme where they're like, don't do all these things, like don't eat all the carbs and don't eat vegetables. Like that's absolutely insane. And of course, like everything, everybody's going to be a little bit different, but like that's totally one end of the extreme. And I think where I was exactly. going with it was um, there's also like, not that it's like the opposite end of that extreme, but within eating disorder treatment, like the general model of treatment is like all foods fit, you can eat anything, you can eat everything. Like, and that is definitely true with type one as well. Like Emily was saying, she knows that she can eat things and just knows how to manage it and whatever. But um, at the same time, there's also, I've, and okay, I'm speaking to this from the perspective of I've seen clients who, have type one who go into eating disorder treatment and they wind up with professionals that just don't fully understand type one and those nuances of like how to actually figure out what, how carbs respond in that person's body and how to manage whatever situation in their life. And they just kind of try to blanketly apply, like put this like blanket statement over this person's treatment where it's like, yeah, like, of course you can do whatever you want. And then the person who has diabetes feels like, you don't understand anything that's going on in my body at all. And you don't understand how diabetes works. And that can make for some really poor treatment decisions and treatment outcomes. So true. And ignorance is honestly the biggest form of uh, the biggest detrimental thing in any disease, in my opinion. Um, But not to like completely change topics, but can you, two things. One, can you quickly explain what intuitive eating is for our listeners who don't know, because I meant to ask yeah, you that. I was wondering, I and then can we is. slide into diabulimia and explaining what that is? Um, and I guess, you know, for anyone listening who realizes that they might be having some issues with their, I don't know if issues is the right word. I don't know what pol- what's politically correct anymore with this stuff. But um, if you're realizing that this might sound like you, we how how you can get help who you can reach out to so can we start with intuitive eating sorry (laughs) 
Yeah, for no, for sure. For sure. So intuitive eating, um, it's a book written by two dietitians. And for anybody who hasn't heard of it, I highly, highly recommend, I can't even talk today, highly recommend you Google it and look it up. Um, there are 10 different principles to intuitive eating. And essentially, it's a way of eating that doesn't have to do with like diets or meal plans. And it's about kind of getting back to tuning in with your body and listening to what your body's cues are telling you, and like learning to trust that. So um, it's kind of like how kids eat. So when we think about kids, like they, you don't, they don't need somebody to tell them like that's too much food or like stop eating because they just automatically are born with that skill to be able to eat when they're hungry or like cry to tell you that they're hungry and stop when they're full. And that's just kind of how kids eat. And eventually over time, something will happen that will disrupt that. A lot of times in our society, it's like some type of diet rule or just messages from parents or school or the media that's like, no, this is how you're supposed to eat. Like, this is what's good for you. This is what's not. And it's all of those rules that kind of come in. And so with type one, that's often being diagnosed and hearing all these rules about like how foods affect you and all of that kind of good stuff. So there's like 7,000 things I could say about that. But definitely look it up. That was a good and, summary. I'm impressed. So it's just like okay. listening to your body. If you if your body's like, you want an apple, eat an apple. Or if you're yeah. like dying of thirst, grab some water. That's like obviously yeah. a really basic so, answer to that. Yeah, that's a really basic answer to it. But yeah, it's, it's learning to like tune in with your body and respect what your body is telling you. Um, and there's 10 different principles to it. And I think people sometimes miss the fact that there's like a lot of structure and nuance like it is an actual like evidence-based approach to nutrition so we'll link to that Um, on our website so people who want to learn more can learn more I think definitely and then to touch on (laughs) for sure yeah because you could go on like for days about this people have entire podcasts about this so anyway (laughs) not us um, (laughs) anyways anyway um but yeah so diabulimia is um, a type of eating disorder in which somebody who has type 1 omits insulin for the purpose of losing weight. And I also want to state that somebody who has type 1 can have any type of eating disorder. This is just another additional eating disorder that they can be diagnosed with because they have type 1. So like you can have type 1 and have anorexia. You can have type 1 and have bulimia. And there's like all sorts of ways that that plays out but you can also have type 1 and have something called diabulimia right and that is when you literally so anyone who has been recently diagnosed or remembers their diagnosis myself aside um because this actually I did not lose weight leading up to my diagnosis um and I always like very incorrectly joke that was the one thing I could have used out of the diagnosis, which now I know is a very horrible thing to say, but it's basically your body kind of starving, if you will, because you're going into DKA. Um, yeah. So yeah. essentially what happens is that when your body isn't getting insulin, so like we're going to get a little sciencey for a second, but I hope that's okay. Here for it. So <laughs> when your body is not getting insulin, that means that the glucose that's in your blood can't get into your cells. And then your cells get this feel, they're like, I don't have any glucose. Like, what do I do? Because that's what your cells use for energy. So then it starts sending all these signals to your brain to be like, give me some glucose. And so often, like, if you're really high and you're, you feel like really hungry or really thirsty, like, that's part of the reason why, because your cells are literally not getting any glucose. And so they're like, give me glucose, like, feed me. Um, <laughs> 
So, but then what happens is that all of that sugar can't get into your cells. And so it's just building up in your bloodstream and building up and building up. And your cells still aren't getting any energy to use because there's no insulin there to help it kind of go into the cell. So your body starts breaking down other sources to try and um, you to try and get energy because like it needs energy to function. So that's why there's weight loss that happens because your body is like breaking down all of these other things. And at the same time, one of the things that happens is that you wind up with ketones because it's breaking down fat and you wind up with ketones through that process. And so you can wind up in decay because of that. And so that's often what happens for people at diagnosis as well, as well like that same phenomenon where they don't have insulin because they don't know that they're diabetic and they don't know that they need insulin. So they wind up with these really crazy high blood sugars and there's weight loss associated with that because their body's trying to break down other things for energy. Right. So that is a really, thank you for explaining that. That was really well done. And I would definitely hire you in an instant. Um, but <laughs> if, if this sounds like something that if you're listening to this, A, we're not trying to scare you. Like this is just something that we think people should be aware of because it's like you learn about all these eating disorders in high school and college and you know people with them, but there's one very specific to type one that has to do with dosing insulin and it has to do with how you manage your illness. And um, I just think it's super important that people are aware of it and that if this is something that you're dealing with that you seek help because it is just as dangerous as any other eating disorder if not you know I wouldn't say more so but very it is it actually it is more so dangerous the risk and not to like scare people again but like the risk of death with anorexia just in general is something like 2.4 percent or something like that I don't I should have the numbers in front of me but I don't but um the risk of death with diabulimia and uh, or with diabulimia is like 38% or something and, like that. It's like crazy higher than any other right. eating disorder. And all there. the damage that can be done if that, you know, like there's other complications that might not result in, you know, the worst case scenario, which is death, but that are very right. lifelong and very serious. And I feel like I'm just like a horror story just telling this, just talking about it. Um, I have, I'm lucky in the fact that I've never suffered from any of these illnesses, but um, I do have a close cousin who is very much uh, suffering through eating disorders at the moment. So it's, you know, when it's, it's something that is a true disease and it does wear away on people and whether you're diabetic or not, it's a serious, serious subject and definitely something that you should seek help if you're experiencing any of these things. So not to put you on the spot, Lauren, but what do you usually recommend? Like who do, who do people reach out to if they think they're experiencing some of these things? So my best recommendation would be actually on, Emily, I can send you this link, but on our website for the company I work for, we have a quiz that you can take to see if, you might have some disordered behavior and then it will connect you with one of our facilities um, Amazing to reach out. And we also, the company that I work for, just to plug Center for Discovery for a little bit, just because we're amazing, <laughs> um, biased, biased answer, but whatever. Um, we also do free support and recovery groups that are on Thursdays at seven o'clock at pretty much every single Center for Discovery location. And so I can send you that link as well, Emily. But um, if somebody is struggling, I definitely recommend that you take, like, you reach out to a professional. 
and try and get help, whether that means you come to like a free support group just to kind of get your foot in the door because you're a little bit concerned or really scared or whatever it is, because it can be intimidating and be scary to like reach out for help for sure. Um, But if it's something as simple as like coming to a support group or telling a doctor or a CDE or somebody that you work with, um, like somebody who is one of your care providers that you think you might be struggling with something like this, definitely reaching out to a professional is the best way to manage it. I think that friends can be really supportive and really helpful. And if you are a friend of somebody who you think is struggling, encouraging that person to reach out to a professional because friends are great and friends are amazing and they're super supportive and they also don't know how to manage an eating disorder. Very so true. That's you can be supportive but also you need medical like you need a professional because yeah at the end of the day that's what's going to get you through thank you for this very serious edition of pancreas pals fam um that's about our time uh alex sorry i just feel like i spoke the whole time but i love you you rocked it never change no i just learned a lot and this was i feel like i just absorbed um same same and um for those listeners who want to check out all of Lauren's amazingness on Instagram, go follow her at gofeedyourself underscore. Um, I love having to say the word underscore. It's just like the funniest thing to me. I don't know why, but follow us on Instagram at pancreas underscore pals and on Facebook at pancreas pals PP. Again, if anyone, if you or anyone you know is suffering from an eating disorder or is concerned about someone who might have one, definitely uh, follow the link on our website. I'll link to everything Lauren just talked about and never feel guilty, bad, or embarrassed to seek treatment in any way, shape, or form. Um, Yeah. And I say this to people with all types of eating disorders, like the bravest, like strongest thing you can do is reach out for help. And there's no shame at all in anything that you're going through. Yes. Retweet to all of the above thank you so much lauren it's been so informative and is it weird to say a pleasure i mean it's been amazing having you on definitely want to reach back out and have you on again in the future to talk more things uh less scary and more diet related uh yeah for sure anytime well have a great week everyone and thanks for listening and yeah i keep saying and so sos i'm gonna stop talking now (laughs) bye guys